This episode is sponsored by friends over at H&E Publishing, a reformed evangelical and Canadian publishing house seeking to spread the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through the publication of church history, biblical spirituality, Christian living, and theology. To see their full list of titles, visit their website at www.hesedandemet.com. So that's H-E-S-E-D and E-M-E-T dot com. And today we get to talk with one of their very own authors, Micah Caswell. Uh, we talked to him about Thomas Patient, who is the father of the Irish Baptist Church. So one of the things that Brandon and I love to do on the podcast is introduce our listeners to all sorts of cool and interesting aspects of theology. And one of those is people who are not well known in Baptist history, yet who have had a lot of influence, and for whatever reason, have kind of not hit the radars for a lot of us. And I think Thomas Patient is, is one of those figures. He's crucial for the Irish Baptists, and he really brings to the table a lot of interesting things. So Brandon and I learned a lot in this episode. Micah is really fun to talk to, a great guest. Uh, so it was an honor to be able to talk with him, uh, and I think you're really going to enjoy the episode. So we talk, uh, you know, who is Thomas Patient? For those who don't know us, why is he important? And if we're not a Baptist, why should we care about him? Because that's one thing we always want to do as well, is to make sure that we're interacting with not just our Baptist uh, brethren, but those who have similar, maybe analytic or confessional backgrounds, and and want to engage and learn more about you know the church and history at at large. What does he have to teach us today? So really fun episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum, where we hope to encourage our listeners to think deeply and clearly. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your other host, Brandon Askew. And today, we're really interested to introduce you to a guest uh, talking about um, Thomas Patient. So I don't know if I knew anything about Thomas Patient until I saw... Uh, this book from H&E Publishing uh, with Micah Caswell, who's written it, who's who's with, us, who's with us today. And I'm really interested to learn more about him. So I think this is going to be really fun to kind of talk about uh, a character that I've never encountered. And I, I feel like I know quite a bit of Baptist history. Um, so the fact that I have no idea who this is, is, I think, pretty interesting. So, And I saw uh, the other day Crawford Gribben, uh, mentioned something about Thomas Patient and how a book should be written about him. And here we are. So it's there is a book written about him, which is perfect. So before we get into Thomas Patient, I do want to give uh, Micah a chance to introduce himself to us so that our listeners who aren't familiar with him uh, can can get to know him a little bit. So why don't you give us short, you know, 30 to 60 second introduction on who you are um, before we jump into Thomas Patient? Yeah, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on the show. I, I really enjoy listening to the podcast and I, I feel like you guys are really adding something to um, just theology in general, but Baptist theology. And so I, I appreciate what you Thank guys you. are doing with the show. Thanks. I am um, married to uh, high, my high school sweetheart, Kristen. We have two kids. Uh, I'm the pastor of uh, Redeemer Church in Denton, Texas. We're a um, Southern Baptist Acts 29 uh, Church. Uh, we've been going about, we're a church plant. We've been going about seven years. This is my hometown. And so it's fun uh, being in Denton and, and close to family and close to some people that uh, have been in our lives for a long time. And so we, yeah, we love life and, um, you know, are trying to survive the coronavirus quarantine yeah. like everybody else. So right. I, I don't think my family <laughs> likes me anymore because they've been stuck with me now for about 10 days. But but we're in a groove. So, 
That's awesome. Yeah, it's this is the prime time to do podcast interviews because yep. everybody's stuck in right. their house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's great uh, in Texas, in you know Matt Chandler land or yeah. whatever in Denton. We're real close uh, to the village. We're kind of in between uh, the village Denton and the village uh, Flower Mound. So. Okay. Yeah. I've honestly never been to Texas, so I have no idea about geography other yeah. than that there's a bunch of big cities somewhere in there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's about right. So Texas <laughs> is awesome. So <laughs> anyway. We would, we would welcome you except for right now. Don't come <laughs> That's right. Stay home. <laughs> so Thomas Patient. I'm interested to talk about him, because uh, he uh, clearly he's important an important figure in Baptist history and Baptist thought, um, because of his relationship to i guess bringing the baptist thought to the to ireland i think so you're gonna have to correct me you're gonna have to explain this to me so tell me i guess first of all who is thomas patient um and how does he relate to baptist thought in general so just kind of give us i guess a background or a lay of the land on who he is yeah um you know the average bear even the average christian christian doesn't know obviously much about baptist history and so if you uh, so no one really knows who Thomas Patient is, but even those who know Baptist history, uh, very few know who Thomas Patient is. So the fact that you don't know, you're normal. Um, <laughs> but it, which was part of what was intriguing to me uh, to do some writing and research on him was I didn't know anything about him either. And, and Dr. Haken had recommended a, a study on him. And so uh, that that's kind of how I got familiar with him. Um, I was uh, planting. I'm a church planter, and so there was an aspect of his life that was intriguing to me uh, about that, and so that's kind of what led me in into my study of patient. Um, awesome. I, I think patient does have some things to say that um, are significant to Baptist thought today, but kind of the bullet points of of his life and ministry, and, and maybe I can go here from early life and ministry to what he did in Ireland, uh, and specifically in Dublin. Um, he is he's there's little known about uh his uh his family of origin uh he's probably born to a a middle class nonconformist family um there's some debate about that um but really the the firm things that we know about him are from the um the opening of his book on the doctrine of baptism it's kind of an autobiographical uh thing about his journey towards the doctrine of believers baptism which actually has a geographical journey connected to it and so that's that's the best primary source we have is himself and that autobiographical opening section of his book and so the the main thing that we know about his early life is that he traveled from england to the american colonies in the 1630s so this is part of that great migration of early pilgrim fathers by the time he's there it's probably the late 1630s and so if you know that period of, of history and church history, uh, one of the, the things that happens in the American colonies is there's a there's a big um, uh, debate uh, that breaks out over antinomianism. And so you have people like John Cotton and Roger Williams caught up in that. And so he's he's there in the American colonies during that time. And the main thing that happens in his life uh, in those years is that he shifts from believing in paedo-baptism or infant baptism into credo baptism or, you know, believer's baptism by immersion. Um, and that comes about according to uh, his autobiography of, of saying that um, uh, he heard a series of sermons on it. And it was obviously what he describes as the New England way 
which was congregationalism, but they they baptized babies. And so that's what everyone believed. And so they were advocating that, but a debate broke out and he actually changed his position on it. Uh, that comes with consequences um, where he is actually, uh, they, they try to arrest him uh, for changing his position. Now there's some debate on if he had a, there's really very little mention of children uh, in his life um, at his death and at his will. He has a wife uh, named Sarah, but um, th there's it's unclear on if he had children. But what is probably assumed there is he has a child in the American colonies and he's refusing to have the baby baptized. That's probably what's going on. Um, so anyway, um, which just to pause right there, just to you know reiterate. It, in the American colonies, in our country, someone became a baptism a Baptist, and uh, they they sent out a warrant for his arrest, and he had to flee for his life, which is yeah. which is wild. Um, I, I was able to find, I was able to find his warrant uh, for his arrest, which is interesting. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah. was was he a Congregationalist before coming to the colonies? Yeah, so that's okay. what's assumed is, and he describes it as as the New England way, which is assumed to be congregationalism. Okay, yeah. Um, so from there, he goes back to England, and probably uh, jumps in on what is called the JLJ Church. If you guys know Baptist history, you're probably familiar with that, which is probably mm -hmm. best described as a um, as a kind of a semi. Uh, independent church, so they, um, but but was most likely had congregational leanings, and people kept uh, leaving over uh, holding two believers baptism by immersion. Which uh, one of those groups that goes out is is kind of around William Kiffin, and what becomes not at that point is not called this, but what becomes the Devonshire Square Church. And so uh, Thomas Patient jumps in with Kiffin, uh, functions probably like a, a co-pastorate with Kiffin. And they they go on a, an evangelistic tour to Kent, um, which is successful. And then uh, he, had, patient with Kiffin, is part of the group of fifteen men in seven churches uh, that signed the first London Confession of Faith in 1644. So uh, that's that's one of his most notable uh, features of his life and ministry is he is a signer of the 1644 Confession, which is um, really is the first. Um, maybe public theology of the Reformed particular Baptist, right? Yeah. So yeah. this identifies them as a group and really becomes this thing that they that unifies them. This is a doctrine that unifies them they, and they work together. Um, maybe next point is during this time, this is all English Civil War time, which is a is a fascinating period of history. It's a it's a combination of a lot of competing um, you know, com competing ideas and different, even theological and political that, that go on. But in the end, you know, the, the king is, is beheaded. You, you have the rise of Oliver Cromwell. And with the rise of Oliver Cromwell, you have the rise of John Owen. John Owen becomes mm -hmm. a chaplain with Cromwell. Uh, Owen goes with Cromwell to Ireland. And this is, you know, one moment in history of many examples of the English uh, dominating and invading uh, Ireland, and so this is this is not a, a high mark in British history. This is a, a low mark. They they invade Ireland, and and Cromwell, who I think is very heroic, um, is very brutal on the Irish. Um, but Owen goes with him, and then Owen comes back to Parliament and preaches a sermon to Parliament, uh, basically giving an account of the the spiritual state of the Irish. 
And his push is, is, is that, listen, it's, it's Catholic, uh, but there are, there are not gospel preachers in Ireland and we need to send gospel preachers in Ireland. So this is the second interesting religious liberty point of the story for us that he asked the government of England to fund uh, Protestant missionaries to go into Ireland to con- to convert the Irish. Thomas Patient is one of those men who goes, and the way he goes in is as an army chaplain. So, you've you've already mentioned a few names um, over in the colonies. You know, you have John Cotton, and then you've mentioned Kiffin and John Owen. Who who are some other? Um, influences, maybe not even personal influences. It, it seems like he he at least personally knew these men. But who are some other theological influences on on patient? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I, you know, I, I he's a contemporary of Cotton and Williams in, in America, but he doesn't ever really mention them. Um, he okay. he doesn't talk much about Owen, although Owen is the way in, and he's certainly um, he's certainly a Puritan. Um, I would say Kiffin is his, even though Kiffin is younger than Thomas Patient, um, Kiffin is just such a great leader and influence and really, in many ways, is kind of the ground of, he, he's such a foundational figure in that movement, and, and he's working with Kiffin. And so and so much of what um, Kiffin is about, Patient is also about. Um, so I think Kiffin is probably the one who most influences him. And when it when it comes to to patient, what what do you think are his most important con- theological contributions? Yeah, I, I know you mentioned he's got the work on baptism, so I'm imagining that that is important. Yeah, um, are there anything other things that he is contributing to, I guess, Baptist heritage that we should be aware of and 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 be using? Yeah, yeah, I th- I think it really his important theological contributions are, are, are two things. First off is his book on the doctrine of baptism. And the second one is, is I would say, the first London Confession. Um, on, on his book, the, the, the significance of that is, well, there, there's a number of, I think, significant things about it. Number one, it, it's, it's a very early uh, full-length book treatment of the doctrine of baptism. I mean, you have a lot of what I would describe as booklets or pamphlets that go out on this mm-hmm. on this topic, and obviously there's there's a lot of it from these guys because this is a very you know uh, debated and, and distinguishing doctrine for them. Uh, but but it, but none of them really provide uh, the full length treatment that patient does. And so you know if you want to get a, a taste of uh, what what those guys felt about this doctrine um, in, in a just a more substantive way, patient's book is it. Um, and it's it's just incredibly early too. Also, what he does in there, what I, one of the things that I think is interesting is when you you look at even you know uh, little booklets of like Southern Baptist guys kind of trying to find the doctrine of baptism. Many of the points that are made, you know, even if you read books from like the 1950s or the turn of the century or the late 1800s, it, it's incredible how many of the points are the same points that Patient was making in the 1650s about who should baptize, how they should baptize, you know, who, what, what's the ideal candidate. So those doctrines, you know, they don't just appear overnight. They're developed, but they're really developed pretty quickly. Um, the second interesting thing about his book is he really pushes into uh, the covenants and the relationship between 
um, Old Testament, New Testament, circumcision, baptism, how all those things relate. And so it, it becomes a, a really interesting look at how they were, you know, trying to uh, work out covenant theology and their understanding of that. And so uh, it, it, it adds a lot to that discussion. And, and Sam Renahan really addresses that well um, in, in his recent book where, where he looks at, you know, federal theology uh, mm-hmm. during that period. And, and he gives some space to patient. Um, so, the, yeah, go ahead. Uh, on this book on baptism, is this available anywhere for people to get their hands on? No, and I and I wish it was. I've when I've you know I'm, I'm stuck at home now because of coronavirus, so I ought to do it. <laughs> but I'd, I'd love to transcribe it and see if somebody would publish it. And and if mm. you know if I do that, what I would like to do is is there's a rebuttal book against patients book by a man named Edward Warren, and his book is. Um, his book is kind of fun if you're interested in that period, because it's patient is, you know, for the period he's harsh a little bit. Uh, but man, the, the rebuttal against him is very harsh. <laughs> it's, it's pretty ugly. Yeah. So it's an interesting read. Is the rebuttal published? Neither one of them are. Okay, you, you, have, okay. you have to get it on EEOB. So, but I, I, yeah, I've, I, I yeah, I, I'd like to publish on myself. So, or if somebody else would, it'd be great. I, I think it adds, it would add a lot, but I think I would like to have them published together. Someone, yeah, to- no, that would be a ton of fun to have them both together. So, yeah, I say do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All so right, how- go. Oh, sorry, Brandon, you got oh, something? No, I was just going to ask how much. How much did he write? Like, so we've mentioned um, on the doctrine of baptism, and I, did you mention an autobiography? Or did I hear on the um, in his book on the doctrine of baptism? Um, he opens with. Um, w- with kind of an autobiographical thing, and, and it's not his whole life, but it's it's in that book, and he talks about how he got to that position. Uh, so he goes back to his journey in the American colonies. So, is there any? Um, and and I don't know if this is maybe you don't know this, but so he signed the, the first London, which would mm-hmm. have been sixteen forty four. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, so, is there any evidence about how how much? how hands-on he was in the actual drafting of that document? Like did, or was he just one of the men who supported it, you know, after it was written? Um, I, I'm actually doing some research right now on the ends, on the, on the first London confession. And that's one of the questions that I have is, is I'm, I'm curious to know how those guys got to those points. I, I know the supporting, um, uh, confessions that they that they leaned on, but but I would be curious on the on the inner workings of it. Um, I I don't know. Someone probably does, but but I don't. He now he is the, the way sixteen forty four comes together is you have seven like minded churches in London and they come together to do it. And so two basically two men from each of those uh, churches sign it. One of them has three, and so so there's there's fifteen men, but but they come together uh, and produce that document. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, as we think about patient and his important contributions and everything, that kind of flows into a question I'm curious about. It's just why should Baptists in general care about patient? Why should those who are not Baptists care about patient? Uh, And this, you know, you can answer this pastorally or just everyday average church members who are interested in these types of things. Yeah. I, maybe let me take them in turn. I, I think what is most helpful about Thomas Patient is there has been, and, and frankly, for a, for you know 
couple hundred years has been a debate on what does it mean to be a Baptist? Mm-hmm. And people land in, in a lot of different places there. We know it has something to do with believers' baptism by immersion, uh, but there's actually more of a theology there on church membership and visible church, you know, invisible church, all those things. Um, one of the unique things about patient is he signs this statement, which is a clear public theology of uh, of their doctrine. He then goes to a different country and plants churches according to that doctrine and then writes a, a full-length book on that doctrine. So if you're uh, an Irish Baptist, for example, you have this very early influence of, okay, what it, what this means. Uh, now, there's, there's some debate. Cork might have been planted before, but it, it didn't have connections to the London Reformed Baptists, but particular Baptist churches— uh, patient probably plants uh, the first two churches, but because it's in its own its its own country, it's almost um, you, you can get a clear picture of what he meant uh, for or, or what uh, his Baptist theology was. And, and there's a couple of things that that I think his ministry highlights while he's in Ireland. Number one, he clearly emphasizes believers' baptism by immersion and all that goes with that. So. Um, uh, which has you know relationships to church membership, who should be in the church, who should be out of the church. Uh, I did kind of last minute put as an appendix in the book the letter that he and a group of guys wrote from from Waterford uh, that is a mark of you know their early the early Baptist church there. But what it does is it shows how they're um, you know how they're working out this believer's baptism uh, by immersion in the church. But the main thing that that highlights is the emphasis on regenerate church membership. So you shouldn't be a church of unbelievers and believers together in membership. It it doesn't mean, hey, we want everybody to walk through the door of the church, but it just means when you come into membership, you need to be a believer. Mm -hmm. And and that was what they were emphasizing. The, The last thing that I think his Irish ministry highlights is from the early days of the Baptist movement, even though they're congregational, and they value the local autonomy of the church, you do see them cooperating together. They mm-hmm. don't function as independent churches in the sense that they never work together. Yeah. Uh, they, they rebuke each other. They discuss things together. They work together for mission. They work together for days of prayer. So there's cooperation from the early days. And the second thing I'll say, there's some things that are not in Thomas Patience Irish ministry that many people claim, okay, this is what it means to be a Baptist. Two things, and they're related. The first one, you don't see religious liberty as an emphasis in his his ministry, and you certainly don't see um, uh, an emphasis on soul competency as as it's you know played out uh, later on in the you know in, in the 1920s and so forth. But so so I do think clearly when you look at Baptist history from early days, there's an emphasis on religious liberty. We have a great history of that we should champion that. Uh, but that's really not the doctrine of what it means to be a Baptist is religious liberty. Because patient, when he's in a position of power and in in Ireland, he essentially is trying to push for a Baptist settlement, uh, which is which has never happened and it didn't work very well. Uh, but you don't see him advocating like a Roger Williams type tolerance. You see him not emphasizing religious liberty. So his the two churches that he plants in Ireland, would they have used the first London as their, and even the settlement that he wanted to, this Baptist settlement, would would that have been the 
the founding document, I guess, the, would, would it have been the first London or was that not an active part of his ministry in, in Ireland? I, I don't think that they functioned in that way. Now he identified with it and he was a signer of it. So yeah. that that's how they were functioning and that's how they believed. Uh, but he didn't get very far on trying to establish it. Right. I mean, he kind he kind of got on the outs pretty quick on the political leaders. Uh, yeah. So th- they didn't utilize it in that way. Okay. So in thinking through this, you know, it seems like he's part of this church where people keep leaving because uh, they're they're flipping from baptizing their infants to no longer thinking that's accurate. So it seems like would he say that churches should split over believers' baptism? That's a good question. Um, he would he would say yes. I would say no. <laughs> um, he would say yes, but we do need to under understand the context. The context of the Dublin split at, at Christ Church in Dublin is that they were not functioning as a church ought to function. So he's he's essentially sharing a pulpit with multiple people, meaning multiple theologies. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you have John Rogers preaching one ecclesiology, and then Thomas Patient gets up and ple- preaches a competing different, you know, ecclesiology. And so no church would function like that today. So, of course, no church today should split over baptism. But I would add a, a very important asterisk to that. Uh, our ecclesiology is very, very important. It's not as important as soteriological issues, of course, um, but it is important. And you, you shouldn't, I'm coming from a church planter's perspective now, you should never plant a church unless you have some clear ecclesiological convictions, including baptism. Yeah. So at the start of the church, that should be clearly established. Now, now someone shouldn't come in and try to pull it a different way. They should just go to a different church if that's not what they believe. Uh, but but that was not really patient's context. It, it was really, you had, it was kind of like a, they, they were giving lecture. They were giving theological lectures and sermons uh, versus it really functioning as a church. Yeah, I, I take it there are no other books. Correct me if I'm wrong. That are um, just on Thomas Patient outside of yours. Is that correct? To my knowledge, I mean, I mean there's there might have been something really early on. Uh, there, there's been a, a. It's kind of fun to see, but there's been a couple of things written in like the last six months. There's been a, a journal article. Um, and then particular Baptist press and, and one of their latest deals added a chapter uh, to him. So uh, there hasn't been much. I mean, Gr- Gribben addresses him, uh, Renahan addresses him, and he's mentioned a few other places. But this is probably the most thorough treatment. I mean, it's, it's certainly yeah. not not perfect and maybe people can rip it apart for different reasons. But um, but, <laughs> but, it, but it is probably the most thorough treatment of him. So I get so. Maybe just we'll broaden that out a little bit. So on just Baptist history in general, what are some of your, you know, if, if a listener wants to really, um, you know, dive in a little deeper onto Baptist history, um, maybe from that specific, you know, 17th century era or or any other period that you're interested in, what are some, some of your favorite books on Baptist history that you can recommend for us? Yeah, I was really, um, I mean, as, as a, as a pastor, I was very influenced by nine marks and, uh, Southwestern Seminary still does a deal where you 
where you go and you can spend a few weeks in Oxford and there's, there's kind of a Baptist history component to that. And so Dr. Yarnell at Southwestern was really influential for me on putting some of the pieces together and seeing how it really um, cast a vision for, for modern day uh, Baptist pastoral ministry. And and so to that end, I mean, of course, Macbeth, Macbeth and, and Torbert's books are, you know, those are, those are kind of the big classics, right? But after that, especially on this period, uh, the work Nettles has done, uh, Nettles is the best. I mean, he's um, he's really done an amazing job of of kind of blowing up some misconceptions uh, about what it means to be a Baptist by just really doing good historical research um, mm-hmm. and, and really showing that I, I grew up not I grew up Southern Baptist, but not Reformed, um, and, and in a church that was really hostile to that. Um, and, and so it was stunning. I mean, it, I wasn't until I was in seminary, uh, till I learned, oh, you could, th- there was such a thing as a Calvinistic Baptist, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is bizarre. Because I feel like a lot of people have that story. Yeah. A lot of people have that story. And, <laughs> and Nettles is, I think, really to be credited almost single hand. I mean, not single, but pretty, <laughs> I mean, he's pretty influential. Um, you know, the, the work that, uh, the, the father-son duo, the Renahan father-son duo is, yeah. is pretty impressive what, what Sam Renahan's done the last few years on some things he's published. Um, and, and I recommend people, um, Crawford Gribben's book, God's Irishman. It's not necessarily, um, you know, obviously Baptist, but if you're interested in that period of, of Irish church history, but the, the last thing that maybe your listeners don't know about is a particular Baptist press is kind of a little known, publisher in Missouri. And they, they do a lot of books that are very readable, especially for, um, you know, lay people. And, uh, they, they kind of do them in series and they'll devote a chapter to different people. So they've, they've done an American series. They're doing a Canadian series right now, but they have a British Baptist, uh, series. And those, if people are interested in, in Baptist history and want something that's a little more bite size and that they just, you know, they're not, they're not wanting something that, you know, is 400 pages on some, on one person, but, uh, th- those are those are more readable, and I think that's a, those are great series. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. So, for those who want to follow what you're doing and want to connect with you, is do you have like a website or do you social media? Like, what do you do where people can follow what you're doing and connect with you? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I mean, I'm first and foremost a pastor. This was um, this book is uh, was my THM thesis under Dr. Haken at Toronto Seminary, Toronto Baptist Seminary. Um, so that's, you know, my, my, my main gig, if you will, is being a pastor. And so a lot of this stuff, um, this is an interest of mine, but it, it, it comes out pretty slow. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm a turtle with some of this stuff. (laughs) Um, I wish I could devote more time to it, but, um, I do have a blog, micacaswell.com. And, um, I, we publish a lot of that stuff on our church blog, um, at redeemerdenton.com. But yeah, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter. I'm, I'm more active on Facebook than Twitter. Um. But yeah, the, the book is through H&E. Uh, so H&E, I think it's H&E.com. Um, but yeah, they, they are, they're a Canadian publisher and they're really doing great work on, on reformed spirituality and, and a lot of great historical stuff. So uh, you can find it there, or of course, Amazon and um, wherever else you buy books. Yeah. And, H- I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about H&E until recently and I think they're really putting out some interesting stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to what they're doing in the future. And some of their covers are really, really nice. So I like, like the one you've got. I mean, oftentimes I feel like for the smaller publishers, they don't have the ability to get really nice yeah. looking covers. Um, so 
Yeah, Chance was funny. He kept, you know, in his Canadian Canadian. I'm from Texas, so I, you know, I, I have a hot sports opinion about everybody. But, but man, the Canadian guys are so sweet. They're so nice. But he, um, he was funny about the cover. He just kept saying how much he loved. It. He, oh, I love this cover. He got, and I like it too. They're kind of neutral about it, and yeah, that's awesome. Well, the good news is. Uh, they are giving away one of these copies to one of our listeners yeah. or whenever they listen to this. So um, if you're listening and you want a copy of it, well, you got a chance to win one for free. Hey, you're, you're stuck at home. You know, you, you can't go anywhere. So what else do you have to do? Learn That's about right. <laughs> well, hopefully we're not stuck at home much longer. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I guess, number one, thank you for taking the time to talk with us about Thomas Patient. Thank number two, I encourage all of our listeners to check out this your book on it. Uh, I'm going to check it out myself and give it a read. I haven't had the chance to do it. I've got my own massive stack of books that I feel like is never ending that I have to, I have to engage myself. So a lot of my own fun reading is, you know, always pushed to the side, but I'm definitely going to get to it. Number three, you're wearing a St. Louis Cardinals hat. So what more reason is there to want to read this book so that you have great camaraderie over interviews over. That's right. I'm a, (laughs) I'm a Texas Ranger fan first, but I do like the Cardinals. So. Well, then I'm I'm sure – I think they were playing game six of what year was that? 20 oh, – oh, Yes. That? I can't – 2011 um, on, on, online today. Is that the David so, Freeze? Oh, were they really? Yeah. What, yeah. Was, that, was that the one at, at – uh, I can't remember the game I was at. I, I got to go when they played the Rangers and Cardinals. We had a friend uh, who was playing for the Cardinals, and so we wanted to go see him and – um, so I took my son and I, and we got to go to the world series. And so I got the hat, this hat for that game. So that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. It was a great memory. And yes, Brandon, it was the David freeze game. The one that I thought we lost multiple times and turned it off at one point. I think everybody <laughs> thought that game was over, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so for, for those who've been listening, check out that stuff. I, I think it's really interesting. Um, a, as he's mentioned, uh, making in, very helpful contributions to Baptist distinctives. Uh, what does it mean to be a Baptist? I think it's fascinating that he's not using religious liberty or not really using soul competency. And those do seem to be uh, two doctrines that are championed as this is what it means to be a Baptist. That's right. So that's really interesting. I quibble me. with soul competency. I obviously firmly support religious liberty. So it's yeah, not a yeah. of those, but, but I, I just don't know that that's the Baptist distinctive. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's just helpful overall to understand Baptist identity and what it means to be a Baptist. So thanks for doing that. number. And I want you to, to, to transcribe that baptism book because I want to get my hands on it and read it myself. So I'll tell everybody else to, to bug you about it so that you'll do it for there us. There we go. There we go. Uh, anyway, for those who've been listening, we, we thank you for listening. You've been listening to the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast that exists. And we look forward to hearing from you guys soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.